Good Travel and New Zealand Awaits, we're Josie Major and Debbie Clark. Welcome to Good Awaits, the Regenerative Tourism New Zealand podcast. Under the shadow of the global pandemic and climate crisis, tourism is facing enormous uncertainty and returning to business as usual is no longer an option. Our people and planet are relying on us to reconnect and reimagine. The Good Awaits podcast is a platform for the collective discovery of a new way forward. It's great to have you join us on this journey. Kia ora, ko Debbie Tokoingwa. I'm Debbie Clark, founder and owner of New Zealand Awaits. Kia ora, ko Josie Tokoingwa. I'm Josie Major, New Zealand Programs Manager for Good Travel. Welcome back to another episode of Good Awaits. We're thrilled to have Nadine Toitoi on the podcast today. Nadine is one of three directors of Kohutapu Lodge and Tribal Tours, a whānau-owned and operated tourism business located in the heart of Ngāti Manawa tribal lands in Murupara, with a vision to change a town through tourism. Although located in her husband's tribal lands, Nadine is of Ngāti descent and has harnessed her extensive expertise in tourism, social responsibility, and community engagement to create a unique experience that gives back to the tamariki, the children of the area, and through local schools creates opportunities for travel, growth, and development. Under Nadine's leadership, Kohutapu Lodge and Tribal Tours won the 2019 New Zealand Tourism Industry Awards Community Engagement Category on authentic cultural experiences, creating opportunities for young people, and hosting the National Geographic PhotoCamp Initiative. Most recently, Kohutapu Lodge and Tribal Tours has secured Provincial Development Unit funding to reposition their tourism lodge as a youth training facility during the domestic tourism low season until international tourism recovers. Three 12-week-long Manawa Ora Rangatahi programs will be run on-site at Kohutapu Lodge and will have a collaborative approach with iwi, hapu, community and other service providers within the immediate and wider region and will become an on-ramp for Rangatahi to move to employment or training programs. Our conversation with Nadine was nothing less than inspiring, right Josie? Regenerative tourism challenges us to turn things on its head and to say, what do our communities need and how can tourism serve those needs? Nadine and her husband and what they've done with Kohutapu Lodge is a beautiful exemplar of this thinking. It really is. And it was such a privilege to have Nadine on the podcast. So we hope that you also find this episode enlivening and that it sparks conversations for you and your community. We invite you to consciously listen and to engage with what resonates with you. Kia Nadine. We're delighted to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Kia ora, Debbie. Thank you for having me. Kia ora. Welcome. Kia ora, Josie. Thank you. We've started every episode with asking our guests about a memorable travel experience, Nadine, something that might have been an early experience or something that was particularly memorable for you and why it was memorable. Yeah, I, I guess immediately one travel experience uh, pops boldly out in my in my mind and it was probably um, an experience that was fundamental in the how and the why we designed and developed our business the way we did as well. Um, so this is going back several years ago when I once worked for, back in the day it was called Tourism Adosurua Marketing and um, one of our offshore trips or trade trips was 
was over to India. And um, we arrived in India under the blanket of darkness. So it was nighttime and all you could see, I just remember as the plane started its descent um, into Mumbai was just blankets and blankets of lights. There were lights everywhere and it was so beautiful. Um, and then when we got out of the airport, the immediately just the chaos and, and all of the senses started going insane all at once. There was people everywhere. There was noise pollution. There was pollution, pollution. Um, it, it was just chaotic. And we, as we made our way to the hotel, um, there were literally bodies lined up on the street, were lying down on the sides of the road. And um, our driver told us that uh, they were homeless people and they did a census one night that we were staying there and there were 80,000 homeless people in a matter of blocks. Um, and we could physically and visibly see these people as well. Um, the amount of homelessness and just the poverty just really struck home and, and hit a chord with me. But probably the most profound memory of that experience was we would um, pack up in the mornings at the hotel and we would leave early to go to the airport to fly to another city and another destination. And the hotels would pack us up with these um, boxes with um, food for our lunches and stuff because we were leaving so early. And um, being typical Kiwis, we were all expecting bacon and eggs and what have you for breakfast, and the kai was a little bit different. Um, so a lot of our food was not getting consumed, so I would go around and gather up all of the boxes of food and um, always take it outside and, and give it to the people who were out there begging, begging for money for food. And there was this one lady in particular who was sat by a rubbish bin and she had her baby on her lap and she had, she was just looking into nowhere. And um, I took one of the boxes of food and gave it to her and she looked up at me like I was expecting something from her in return. So we had this whole sign language thing going on. And um, when I opened up the box of Kai and she could see that the food was in there for her and her baby, um, she just dug her hand in, which was covered in dirt, into the cream bun. It was mock cream and started feeding it down her baby's throat and her baby was like this tiny little bird um, nibbling away at the kai and just the look of gratitude and thanks um, on that woman's face and I often think where, where they are now um, but that look is something I will never forget um, so yeah that really has stayed with me for a very long time and just the just the ideal of going to the other side of the world and experiencing a place where every single one of your five senses is an action at the same time, um, I think really does something to your spirit. And um, yeah, it was it was a very memorable time for me. Thank you for sharing that. India was one of my early travel experiences too, and it's such it's so familiar what you're describing. So Nadine, now you're, you're obviously well recognised and, and established in New Zealand tourism and, and recognised for your work in, in this space that we're going to be talking about. But we'd love to first just know how you ended up working in this industry. Well, I never um, intended on working in tourism, to be fair. Um, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and I took those papers at university and I think I did one of them and thought, oh my gosh, this is not for me. Um, so I picked <laughs> up... I picked up sales and marketing and um, and yeah, that really spun my wheels and I really got into it. 
um, business management. Um, so I did a BMS degree with a double major in marketing and human resources management. And one of the um, papers that I had to do at university um, was a, a six-month market research paper. So they call it a 499. And um, I a message had come out to all the Māori students. Um, a pānui came out and it was an opportunity at Tourism Rotorua um, for an internship and I looked at that and thought, you know, I, I could do this internship whilst finishing my degree and doing the six-month market research. So um, off I went, I got shortlisted, and lo and behold, was one of lucky three three lucky candidates who was offered a position um, at the district council there as an intern. And um, so I started in the convention bureau but really was there to, to finish the six-month market research paper, which our topic was on the extension of the Rosudua Airport to turn it into a trans-Tasman capable airport. Um, so my findings were actually fundamentally used in that airport extension. Um, and the internship program was only supposed to last for one year, 12 months. Um, but after 12 months, the, the, they thought we were so valuable in the work that we had done that they extended it um, and rolled us over for another few years. So I actually, I actually stayed there for almost four years, I think, and rotated through all sorts of different um, departments. So international, um, inbound, media, the whole lot, convention bureau. So that's really where my grounding for tourism came from. Wow, you've got quite an extensive uh, history in tourism and a lot of experience, which is great. We can see that coming through. So this podcast is about regenerative tourism. Uh, so we'd be really keen for you to talk to us about your business. And because your business is a leading example of a regenerative tourism business. So if you can tell us about your business and speak to how your vision developed. Yeah, so uh, Kohu Tapu Lodge is our whānau-owned business. So we're a small um, Māori-owned and operated family business located out at Lake Anifenua. So we are sat firmly within the um, tribal lands of Ngāti Manawa, um, which is my husband's tribe. I am Ngāti, so my tribe is um, down the coast down the east coast of New Zealand. Um, but we were obviously living in Rusurua and my job prior to, to us owning our business was at the Tamaki Heritage Group. So we had Tamaki Māori Village in Rusurua. Uh, we had developed the Tamaki Heritage Village in Christchurch um, and we were looking to develop a, a cultural experience up in Auckland at Manuko as well. Um, and I was with that company for nine years, almost ten years, and um, yeah, I just uh, it just was time for me to to really explore and go off and do my own thing. And the natural progression for us was to go back to my husband's tribal lands. His his home was calling him, and we were out here hunting and fishing every weekend anyway. So for us, it was a no brainer. We we knew the beauty of this place. We knew the stories and and what we hoped other people would see when they would come out. Um, so the concept was born to create a cultural tourism experience, which was simply real life, um, not a show, 
but just a snapshot for people to understand, um, yes, absolutely our history, but also who we are today as a people. But most importantly for us, it was always inspiring people about the future and our hopes for the future, which um, for us always came back to Maranatahi, our children. Um, so, so yeah, we, we created our, our experience, which was a, a guided tour through Ngāti Manawa tribal lands, um, a tour through our township, arrival out at our lodge where we would put a hangi down and, and do interactive activities with our manuhiri. Then we would have dinner and over dinner we would then um, basically share our backstory with them which uh, was explaining to them exactly where their money was going back to um, which none of them had any idea about. We would then get them to help pack us, um, pack up all of our leftover hangi meals and the very next day we would take them back into our community, into our schools and um, they would be the ones who would deliver meals to a lot of our children who went to school without a kai. Um, and we would create, uh, go about creating a really extensive cultural exchange program with our visitors, um, whereby our kids would welcome them in through tikanga, through pōhiri, through uh, process hakapōhiri, and then our manuhiri, our visitors, would engage with our, our rangatahi, our, our children, and explain where they were from in the world, the different types of careers they had, jobs, um, and just inspire our children and educate them about the, the big, beautiful world out there. Um, so, yeah, the the kind of program really happened organically. Um, it was us going in and delivering the meals to start with, and um, we just started talking to our teachers, saying, man, it would be really cool for our visitors to experience this feeling of, of koha, which we understand intrinsically as Māori, um, but actually for them to really deeply understand it is not for us to talk about it but for them to do it um, and they agreed they said they trusted us and our company and our process and knew us so we were welcome to bring our visitors in and um, it became quickly a highlight for a lot of our a lot of our children at school who would really look forward to having the visitors come in and um, would really look forward to having us come in and um, would really look forward to the annual school trips that the visitors would contribute to. Um, so our kids got to go on free excursions around New Zealand, all expenses paid. Um, we would purchase winter school uniforms for them. We reinvest back into our marae. Um, a lot of opportunities that would not have been possible without without our visitors coming through. But our vision is really simple. It's five words. It, our vision has always been to change a town through tourism. And um, change doesn't necessarily mean big, bold change and painting the, the walls and resurfacing the roads, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a movement um, forward of our people. I want to follow up your description of your business with, I've explained it, but I'd like you to speak directly to what your mission is and also, um, you know, around this whole concept of regenerative tourism that we're saying is somewhat new thinking for those of us um, who are not in touch with ancient wisdom. So the way our company was established was on our old ways um, 
we've been really deliberate in making sure that our the way we developed our company and our promise to our people um, was always done with integrity. Um, and one of the stories of this tribe in particular that really struck a chord with us when we were looking to develop our company was how Ngāti Mana was, was a landlocked tribe. And back in the day, um, they used to fiercely protect their tribal boundaries. They were surrounded by nine other iwi. And obviously some parts of the land were rich in resource and some parts were very poor in resource and every couple of hundred metres a papakainga or a lookout would be set up. Um, so at a certain time of the year, the chief of the tribe would say, all right, everybody uproot and rotate around so those who had it good would then have it not so good. And the tribe learnt how to share and look after each other and get along. Um, with the resources that they had available. So for us, we there was no way we could move back out to my husband's tribal lands and sit on the pig's back and, and flourish off the benefits of tourism um, while we knew hand on heart that some of our people were still struggling. So we always wanted to, to give back as much as we could um, with what we had to try and make a difference. And um, that's really essentially where the foundations of our company came from and our business. Um, and to inspire people to do the same, really. Um, it doesn't cost a lot of money to do these things. Um, when you look at your backyard and your communities that your businesses sit within, um, every community is different and every community has different needs. Um, and, and they're not very hard to identify if you know your community well. And it doesn't take a lot of money to put the effort and time and investment back into your community to help make positive change. You literally just have to roll your sleeves up and get out there and do it and be seen doing it. And it has to come from a place that is not selfish and is not monetary driven. Um, otherwise, it will never work and it will defeat the purpose of what this whole concept is all about. Uh, there's a lot of talk about how a big part of this work is is just remembering some of that things that's been gotten perhaps by by some cultures, but that is very much still alive and well in 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 Māoridom and 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 other indigenous cultures. And I guess from from our perspective, as we were talking before. Um, we never knew what regenerative tourism was. Regenerative tourism is a new kind of catchphrase that's, that's gone on after the impacts of COVID. Um, and I guess the lessons or the lockdown lessons that we all learned during COVID um, and everybody had a chance to stop and breathe and really think about our industry um, and from the discussions that I've had within the industry, um, one thing kept coming back uh, louder and stronger than any of the other messages and that is was always around communities and people. Um, and yeah, it is, it is really important that we do look after our communities and our people, um, particularly in our industry and tourism. It's such a such a positive vehicle that can instigate so much change, um, and if, if done in the right way. Um, but yeah, we never knew what we were doing was regenerative tourism. We were just doing what was naturally inside of us. Um, it's not an uncommon concept for Māori and I find it really interesting that a lot of the regenerative tourism strategies that are being discussed now are essentially 
the old Māori and our old ways, um, which are fast becoming the new ways. I wanted to ask you about the rangatahi program that you're also doing at the moment because this is a sort of new program, right? Yeah, yeah, it is very brand new. So um, this is actually something that we have been fiercely passionate about for quite some time. In fact, we've literally been talking about it for seven years. Um, We've been out here in October for eight years and um, with a group of like-minded people um, who also uh, have the same aspirations for our young people, which is to go forth and be great and to stand in the light and not shy away from it and um, to to help them negotiate their way through whatever it might be in life that they're dealing with um, to hopefully pop out the other side and have a fair shot at life. Um, so, so, yeah, we've been talking about it for a while, but... Um, and we've always tried to do some some project work and stuff around it. And I guess every cloud does really have its silver lining because COVID um, actually allowed us to sit back and take what we were talking about for such a long time and put it into practice. Um, so we applied for funding to run these programs, government funding, and our application um, was successful. So our program is called Manawa Ora Rangatahi, and it is a 12-week program um, targeting youth who are between the ages of 16 to 24 who are not in school, who are not in work or who are not in um, further education or training. And the concept is over the 12 weeks we give them some really tangible tools to help them in life um, be able to succeed and get a job or whatever it is might be, um, such as a CV, um, driver's licence, first aid certificate, IRD numbers, all of that tangible stuff. Um, But for us, the really important thing is um, the pastoral care, the wraparound um, care and whakawhanaungatanga that we provide our rangatahi in a safe space um, and really connecting our rangatahi back to the whenua, uh, back to the land and allowing the land to help heal our people and our people to help heal the land as well. For us, it's a reciprocal reciprocal relationship. Um, our land, um, if our land is not well and our waterways are not well, then our people will not be well. Um, but if our people are not well, how can we fix the land and the waterways? Um, so for us, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship that goes together. So our program does include a lot of um, kai gathering, mahi kai, um, also mara kai, so developing a big communal garden out here at Kohutapu Lodge. Um, and it's really looking at, I find it so interesting because we did this in a regenerative tourism strategy session just recently where we looked at tourism as the soil and how we were trying to fix the soil and get the soil right and we're actually physically doing it out in our mara with our rangatahi. And when the, they were talking about, I'm like, are you spying on us? You're watching what we're doing. Yeah, it really resonated because it is literally what we're doing is that we're, um, yeah, Rami all um, chipping and all sorts of stuff to get our soil right. And I guess in a way there's a nice synergy between what we're doing with the gardens and what we're also doing with our rangatahi um, is to, to try and get the soil right um, to, a, to enable our, our gardens to grow, um, which is exactly what we're trying to do with our rangatahi as well. That's fantastic. 
And is that something that would have happened, like the programs that you've said you've been working on them for seven years, but was that an opportunity that COVID presented? Yeah, I guess I guess for us, we've always been such hard workers. We work, um, we live on site, so our home is our business, our, 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 we never leave our site, so. So we don't get the chance to step away and, and have that helicopter look at our business. Um, we're so far in it um, that we live and breathe it every day, seven days a week in the summertime, 18 hours a day. Um, so I guess with COVID, it was, yeah, everything well, very quickly ground to a halt. And once um, we got over that trauma of, of the loss of business, and um, the reassurance that um, that our business we could breathe for a minute. Um, it was really looking at how we could repurpose our place and our facility to be of use to our people. And that's really what it was. It was, we knew that the domestic tourism market would never fill the gap of international. Our business was 98% reliant on the international marketplace. And we do also understand that domestic clientele do not um, often frequent cultural tourism products as much as other tourism products. So there was there was always a gap. We knew that winter was going to be hard and our place would sit here primarily empty um, during the winter months and so would our people. Um, so the idea to repurpose our place in order to do something meaningful um, for our bangatahi was just an opportunity that um, that I was never going to let go of. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. I've, we wrote so many programs and so many applications. I'm not sure if we were granted the funds so they could just get rid of me. <laughs> um, but it was definitely... Definitely something that once you have a passion and, and, you know, you really do believe in what you're doing and there is purpose and intent behind um, what you're working on, um, it quickly moves from a job and work to to you and your life and your existence and what you live and breathe. And, um, yeah, it's meaningful. I know I first became aware of you, Nadine, immediately after borders were closed there was a video put out that you did where you basically just did an open invitation to anyone in the community who needed kai or who needed a place to stay right yeah yeah but i know which one you're talking about that took me three takes to record that because i could stop crying <laughs> very emotional yeah, it was. And I really, I mean, oh, but I was going through it. We're so isolated um, ourselves. We're not in a, a big city or a centre or we can't look over the fence at our neighbours. So that sense of isolation and knowing that when you are going through stuff such as loss, um, and just knowing that there are people out there that um, understand your journey, what you're going through, and have somewhere for you to go to. My biggest concern for a lot of our whānau in the tourism industry, and it still is, um, there's still a long way to go for, for a lot of our businesses, is the mental and the psychological and the emotional and the financial stress that, that people are going through. And the mind is a powerful, powerful machine. And if you don't deal with a lot of these things, um, then, you know, you can go to dark places. And that's something that as a people we need to to bring to the fore a lot more and start talking about um, is, is our mental well-being and our wellness as a people so that we can cope 
Um, and it's never easy to walk that road alone. So knowing that there are people out there that will, hey, and it might just be walking beside you down the road um, and holding your hand, not even talking, but just being there is something we wanted to offer our people because our tourism industry are our people. It is an industry that is built on people and relationships and it's it's not like any other industry I know where, where we say these people are our farm. No, they are our family. Um, uh, just as we treat our visitors like farm no as well. Um, so yeah, it was really important for me to to just say say that we were here and we understood and we were going through the same stuff. And if anybody needed somewhere to go, no questions asked. Our door was, is, and will always be open. Yeah. What what um, keeps you going, Nadine, when you go through these these challenging times? Um, my husband calls me a bit crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess it's just it's hard. It's hard because I'm not sure if I know what keeps me going. Um, I, I guess it's just um, really believing so staunchly in your vision and being so ultimately passionate about what you do that um, no is never no. A door that closes is always an opportunity to find another door that will open. Um, there is always a way to to get around or to do what you want to do if you are that strongly focused and passionate about your vision. Um, then there's no, there's nothing that will stop you. And and I guess um, yeah, that that is what motivates me. Um, it's also because what motivates me is our people and our rangatahi and. Um, They've shared a lot with us and told us a lot of their um, deepest thoughts and fears and and stories. And it's a currency that is not exchangeable for anything else. You know, it's, it's so important. They are so important that um, who are we not to do anything about it? E- everyone can do something about it. Um, and I guess for us, um, we are a drop in the bucket um, or in the ocean, but it only takes one person to start a, you know, a movement. Um, and I really feel that um, that COVID is allowing allowing us to, yeah, to really shine a light on this movement of, of care and love. Much bigger focus on that, I think, now, seeing people's values really coming into focus, right? Yeah. 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 I'd love to ask you, you know, we've talked, when we're talking about regenerative tourism or um, we're talking about, you know, Maori worldview, place is a, a really big factor. And you've talked about your community and your people. Can you paint a picture for us or for our listeners about your place, what you have done oh, and what makes it so special? Yes, I can. Um, for me, it's, it's always about the people. Um, the people that make the place so special um, and that's right from our rangatahi all the way through to our komatsu and our queer. Um, but I guess any any Māori person will also tell you that it's the whenua, it, it's the land and the strong connection of people to land and that sense of belonging and knowing who you are and where you're from is, is really important for, for Māori. Um, in terms of this 
place here, man, it's, uh, where else can you go in the world where you've got rivers, mountains, lakes, waterfalls, native rainforests, um, like the environment is just so stunning, but within these landscapes, the intricately woven history and stories and um, just the, yeah, the, the tribal history. Um, there's also the modern day, the modern day view of our town and, and what it is and um, the media don't portray Murupara as a very um, pleasant place to be or to live or to work, um, whereas I see it as a colourful town full with colourful characters and, um, and a story to, to share and, and hope. And, um, yeah, I, I guess for me it's like when you travel the world and you go to places it's not necessarily something that you see or take a photograph of, but the most memorable experiences that I've ever had have been experiences that have stirred something on the inside of me. Um, and, and that is definitely what happens to me every time I go into our community. Um, and it was also about educating our visitors that it doesn't have to be a gold-plated, marble, polished, whatever, to be a five-star experience. Um, it, it can be what we were talking about just before, that a five-star experience can be um, what you feel on the inside and can motivate you to want to make a change in your life um, or can resonate and relate and help you move through something in your life. Um, so, yeah, our, our place is beautiful, um, but beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And, yeah, I guess that's where people's true colours will, will really shine through. Exactly. So th there's a lot of talk at the moment in the industry, Nadine, about reimagining tourism and resetting and what do we, what do, we do in um, post-COVID. What, what does a, a reimagined industry look like? to you? Um, I don't know really the quick answer to that one. I have lots of thoughts around this. Um, Reimagining and reinventing ourselves. Uh, for Māori, um, that's a firm no from me, from my perspective, because it took us 200 years to get here. Um, you know, so and and I just find it really interesting um, that I, I think we really need to be clear about what the reimagining is. What part are we reimagining? Um, for a lot of us, yeah, we've worked really hard to to do what we do and, and get where we are. Um, I think the industry as a whole, if we're looking at that um, as being reimagined, um, I guess the biggest one for me is. Um, is really placing a oh am I? I've got some babies coming in. Kia ora, my darling. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I can't oh. let these babies be without no. a cuddle. Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely. Go in where it's nice and warm, my honey. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Don't apologise at all. Um. So yeah, I guess from my perspective. Um, the reimagining part, um, a little bit of background noise, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Helping themselves to a snack. Yeah. 
Got it. Um, sorry. So the reimagining part of of tourism, I think, is what we we need to decide what exactly it is we are reimagining. Um, for me, uh, my perspective around regenerative tourism and what we're doing, and even cultural tourism, is the whole value proposition. And, and how we place value on it um, for the last seven, eight years, and actually beyond that, for the 20-something years that I have been in tourism, um, the rate negotiation process um, has always been extremely cutthroat, and it's all around how, you know, drilling that bottom price down and then going to your direct competitor and then drilling them down to beat your rate, and then they'll come back and want a free set of steak knives because we've got this price offer and you know it's really unfair for for operators to be placed in that position particularly when the product that they offer is a product that has way more meaning and value than than dollars and cents Um, so I think as an industry we really need to wake up to to what we're doing and the sustainability and what people on the ground who are the experience um, go through day in and day out to make sure that they are delivering that product for their visitors. Um, we throw this word manakitanga around and we've done it for years and years, but how deeply and how truthfully do we actually, um, how how much manakitanga do we live and breathe every day um, as an industry and care for our own, our own people as much as care for our operators um, and our visitors out there, sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really think that, um, that yeah, the value proposition and the worth of what some operators in this country do um, yeah, should really be taken into consideration to ensure that we can reinvest into our place and into our people and achieve what we've done, what it's taken us 10 years to do, we possibly could have done in two or three years. Um, you know, that's the important stuff for me is, um, is yeah, just really looking after our people. Well, listeners, after taking a bit of time to digest everything that Nadine said to us, uh, Debbie and I like to take a little bit of time at the end of each episode to reflect on what we've learned and perhaps offer something for you to think about going forward. So, Debbie, what what resonated for you uh, in that conversation with Nadine? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, I'm just feeling extremely grateful to Nadine for making the time to speak with us in the midst of this program that she's got going on. It's the first run through of this program that they're working with youth. Um, this 12 week program really intense. She's extremely busy. And so for her to make time for us, um, when her focus right now is really serving the youth in her community. Um, so I'm very appreciative of that. And it just magnified for me that this is who Nadine is and is who she's always been. And she talked about the fact that this focus on serving her community and the youth in her community is just what their business was designed to do from the get-go. That when we're talking about regenerative tourism, for many of us, this is new thinking, but for people like Nadine, and there's many, many people out there who are like her, that this is just ingrained in who they are, whether it's part of their culture or it's part of their ethos or their makeup, they're just people who want to give back. And so they build their businesses around this model of serving their community first. That was my my takeaway. Yeah, 
And that comes through in her five-word vision, as she said, which is change a town through tourism. And they're absolutely doing that for their rangatahi there uh, and for the whole community. And I think the fact that Nadine had uh, had kids coming through and, and people walking by while we were interviewing her just speaks to who she is and how she just lives and breathes this uh, deep sense of manaakitanga. And so what I would like to offer to our listeners is, is Nadine talked about the fact that this is not that hard mm-hmm. when you take a step back and think, what does my community need and how can I best serve my community? How can tourism best serve my community? And so my offering is that this work is going to take a lot more of us taking a step back and asking that question, how can I best serve my community? How can tourism best serve my community, whether that's on a local level or at a national scale? Yeah, yeah. And and I think all of us being much more open to learning from people who have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So we'd just like to thank Nadine again for joining us on this episode of Good Awaits. It was such a privilege to spend the time talking with her. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Good Awaits. It's been a pleasure to to bring this conversation to you. And if this has resonated with you listeners or you feel called to get involved, please send us your takeaways or your inspirations, what you feel called to do as a result of this conversation. We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us via our website. You can leave comments there on goodawaits.podbean.com or on our Instagram and Facebook at goodawaits. Our episodes of Good Awaits are out every Wednesday morning, New Zealand time. You can find us on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you do want to be notified every time a new episode comes out, you can subscribe on your podcast app. And if you would like to leave us a review, we would really love to receive your feedback. Thanks also to the Good Awaits team for your support, to Erin Carnes for your graphics design, Clary Macklin for your wonderful music and production, and Josie, I want to thank you as well for your ongoing hours of editing. This is We're still having fun, so that's a good thing. And thanks also to you, Debbie. It's been, it's continuing to be a lot of fun working with you and and, uh, thank you for everything that you bring to this podcast. So thanks again, listeners, for listening to Good Awaits. It's great to have you join us as we harvest the stories of our regenerative tourism journey in New Zealand. Mm